Chapter Twenty Seven. If this open weather holds much longer," said Mrs. Jennings when they met at breakfast the following morning. "Sir John will not be leaving Barton a thing for sportsmen to lose a day's pleasure. Poor souls! I always pity them when they do. They seem to take so much to heart." That is true," cried Marianne in a cheerful voice, and walking to the window as she spoke to examine the day. I had not thought of that. This weather would keep many sportsmen in the country. It was a lucky recollection, and all her good spirits were restored by it. It is charming weather for them, indeed," she continued, as she sat down to the breakfast table with a happy countenance. How much they can enjoy it! But with a little return of anxiety, it cannot be expected to last long. At this series of rain, we shall certainly have very little more of it. Frosts will soon set in, and in all probability, with severity. In another day or two, perhaps this extreme mildness can hardly last longer. Nay, perhaps it may freeze tonight. At any rate, said Eleanor, wishing to prevent Mrs. Jennings from seeing her sister's thoughts as clearly as she did. I dare say we shall have Sir John and Lady Middleton in town by the end of next week. I, my dear, I warrant you, we do. Mary always has her own way, and now, silently conjectured Eleanor, she will write to Combe by this day's post. But if she did, the letter was written and sent away with a privacy which eluded all her watchfulness to ascertain the fact. Whatever the truth of it might be, as far as Eleanor was feeling through contentment about it. Yet while she saw Marianne in spirits, she could not be very comfortable herself, and Marianne was in spirits, happy in the mildest of the weather, and still happier in the expectation of a frost. The morning was chiefly spent in leaving cards at the houses of Mrs. Jennings' acquaintance to inform them of her being in town, and Marianne was all the time busy in observing the direction of the wind, watching the variations of the sky, and imagining an alteration in the air. Don't you find it colder than it was in the morning, Eleanor? There seems to me a very decided difference. I can hardly keep my hands warm, even in my muff. It was not so yesterday, I think. The clouds seemed parting too. It was not so. Oh, the clouds seemed parting too. The sun will be out in a moment, and we shall have a clear afternoon. Eleanor was alternately diverted and pained, but Marianne's preserved. But Marianne preserved and saw every night in the brightness of the fire, and every morning in the appearance of the atmosphere, the certain symptoms of approaching frost. The Miss Dashwoods had no greater reason to be dissatisfied with Mrs. Jennings' style of living and set of acquaintance than with her behavior to themselves, which was invariably kind. Everything in her household arrangements was concluded on the most liberal plan, and expecting a few old city friends whom, to Lady Middleton's regret, she had never dropped. She visited no one to whom an introduction could at all dispose the feelings of her young companions. Pleased to find herself more comfortably situated in that particular than she had expected, Eleanor was very willing to be compounded for want of much real enjoyment from any of their evening parties, which, whether at home or abroad, formed only for cards, could have little to amuse her. Colonel Brandon, who had a general invitation to the house, was with them almost every day. He came to look at Marianne and talk to Eleanor, who often derived more satisfaction from conversing than with him than from any other daily occurrence. But who saw at the same time, with much concern, his continued regard for her sister. 
She feared it was a strengthening regard. It grieved her to see the earnestness which with he often watched Marianne, and his spirits were certainly worse than when at Barton. About a week after their arrival, it became certain that Willoughby was also arrived. His card was on the table when they came in from the morning's drive. Good God, cried Marianne. He has been here while we were out. Eleanor rejoiced to be assured of his being in London, now ventured to say, depend upon it, he will call again tomorrow. But Marianne seemed hardly to hear her, and on Mrs. Jennings' entrance escaped with the precious card. This event, while it raised the spirits of Eleanor, restored to those of her sister all, and more than all, of their former, former agitation. From this moment, her mind was never quiet. The expectation of seeing him every hour of the day made her unfit for anything. She insisted on being left behind the next morning when the others went out. Eleanor's thoughts were full of what might be passing in Berkeley Street during their absence. But a moment's gla glance at her sister when they returned was enough to inform her that Willoughby had paid no second visit there. A note was just then brought in and laid on the table. For me, cried Marianne, stepping hastily forward. No, ma'am, for my mistress. But Marianne, not convinced, took it up instantly. It is indeed for Mrs. Jennings. How provoking. You are expecting a letter then, said Eleanor, unable to be longer silent. Yes, a little, not much. After a short pause, you have no confidence in me, Marianne. Nay, Eleanor, this reproach from you, you have confidence, you who have confidence in no one. Me, returned Eleanor in some confusion. Indeed, Marianne, I have nothing to tell. Nor I, answered Marianne with energy. Our situations then are alike. We have neither of, we have neither of us anything to tell. You because you do not communicate and I because I conceal nothing. Eleanor, distressed by the charge of reserve in herself, which she was not at liberty to do away with, knew not how, under such circumstances, to press for greater openness in Marianne. Mrs. Jennings soon appeared, and the note being given to her, she read it aloud. It was from Lady Middleton, announcing their arrival in Conduit Street the night before, and requesting the company of her mother and cousins for the following evening. Business on Sir John's part, and a violent cold on her own, prevented their calling in Berkeley Street. The invitation was accepted, but when the hour of the appointment drew near, necessary as it was in common civility to Mrs. Jennings that they should both attend her on such a visit, Eleanor had some difficulty in pers persuading her sister to go, for still she had seen nothing of Willoughby, and therefore was not more indisposed for amusement abroad than unwilling to run the risk of his calling again in her absence. Eleanor found when the evening was over that the disposition is not materially altered by a change of abode, for although scarcely settled in town, Sir John had contrived to collect around him nearly 20 young people and to amuse them with a ball. This was an affair, however, of which Lady Middleton did not approve. In the country, an unpremeditated dance was very allowable, but in London, where the reputation of elegance was much more important and less easily attained, it was risking too much for the gratification of a few girls to have it known that Lady Middleton had given a small dance of eight or nine couple with two violins and a mere sideboard collation. Mr. and Mrs. Palmer were of the party from the former, of whom they said they had not seen since their arrival in town, as he was careful to avoid the appearance of any attention to his mother-in-law and therefore never came near her. They received no mark of recognition on their entrance. He looked at them slightly without seeming to know who they are and merely nodded to Mrs. Jennings from the other side of the room. Marianne gave one glance round the apartment as she entered. It was enough. 
he was not there, and she sat down, equally ill-disposed to receive or communicate pleasure. After they had assembled for about an hour, Mr. Palmer sauntered towards the Miss Dashwoods to express his surprise on seeing them in town. Though Colonel Brandon had been first informed of their arrival at his house, and he had himself said something very droll on hearing that they were to come. I thought you were both in Devonshire, said he. Did you, replied Eleanor. When did you go back again? I do not know, and thus ended their discourse. Never had Marianne been so, un so unwilling to dance in her life as she was that evening, and never so much fatigued by the exercise. She complained of it as they returned to Berkeley Street. Aye, aye, said Mrs. Jennings. We know the reason that all that very well. If a certain person who shall be nameless had been there, you would not have been a bit tired. And to say the truth, it was not very pretty of him to not give you the meeting when he was invited. Invited, cried Marianne. So my daughter Middleton told me, for it seems Sir John met him somewhere in the street this morning. Marianne said no more, but it looked exceedingly hurt. Impatient in the situation to be doing something that might lead to her sister's relief, Eleanor resolved to write the next morning to her mother and hoped by awakening her fears for the health of Marianne to procure those inquiries which had so long been delayed. And she was still more eagerly bent on this measure by perceiving after breakfast on the marrow that Marianne was again writing to Willoughby, for she could not suppose it to be any other person. About the middle of the day, Mrs. Jennings went out by herself on business, and Eleanor began her letter directly, while Marianne, too restless for employment, too anxious for conversation, walked from one window to the other or sat down by the fire in melancholy meditation. Eleanor was very earnest in her application to her mother, relating all that had passed, her suspicions of Willoughby's incon inconsistency, urging her by every plea of duty and affection to demand him from Marianne an account of her real situation with respect to him. Her letter was scarcely finished when a rap foretold a visitor and Colonel, Brander, Colonel Brandon was announced. Marianne, who had seen him from the window and who hated company of any kind, left the room before he entered it. He looked more than usually grave, and though expressing satisfaction at finding Miss Dashwood alone, as if he had somewhat in particular to tell him, tell her, sat for some time without saying a word. Eleanor persuaded that he had some communication to make in which her sister was concerned, impatiently expecting its opening. It was not the first time her feeling the same kind of conviction, for more than once before, beginning with the observation of, your sister looks unwell today, or your sister seems out of spirits, he had appeared on the point either of disclosing or inquiring something particular about her. After a pause of several minutes, their silence was broken by his asking her in a voice of some agitation whether he was to congratulate her on the acquisition of a brother. Eleanor was not prepared for such a question, and having no answer ready, was obliged to adopt the simple and common expedient of what he meant. He tried to smile as he replied, your sister's engagement to Mr. Willoughby is very generally known. It cannot be generally known, returned Eleanor, for her own family do not know it. He looked surprised and said, I beg your pardon. I'm afraid my inquiry has been impertinent, but I had not supposed any secrecy intended as they openly correspond and their marriage is universally talked of. How can that be? By whom can you have heard it mentioned? By many, by some of whom you know nothing, by others with whom you are most intimate, Mrs. Jennings, Mrs. Palmer, or the Middletons, but I still thought I might not have believed it, for when the mind is perhaps rather unwilling to be convinced, it will always find something to support its doubts. If I had not, when the servant let me in today, accidentally seen a letter in his hand directed to Mr. Willoughby in your sister's writing, 
I came to inquire, but it was convinced before I could not, I could ask the question. Is everything finally settled? Is it impossible to, but I have no right. I could not have, I could have no chance of succeeding. Excuse me, Miss Dashwood. I believe I have been wrong in saying so much, but I hardly know what to do. And on your prudence, I have the strongest dependence. Tell me that it is absolutely resolved on that any attempt that in short concealment, if concealment be possible, is that all remains. These words, which conveyed to Eleanor a direct avowal of his love for her sister, affected her very much. She was not immediately able to say anything, and even when her spirits were recovered, she declared for she debated for a short time on the answer it would be most proper to give. The real state of things between Willoughby and her sister was so little known to herself that in endeavoring to explain it, she might be as liable to say too much as too little. Yet she was convinced that Marianne's affection for Willoughby could leave no hope of Colonel Brandon's success, whatever the event of that affection might be, and at the same time wished to shield her conduct from censure. She thought it most prudent and kind, after some consideration, to say more than she really knew or believed. She acknowledged, therefore, that though she had never been informed by themselves of the terms on which they stood with each other, of their mutual affection she had no doubt, and of their correspondence she was not astonished to hear. He listened to her with silent attention, and on her ceasing to speak, rose directly from his seat, and after saying, in a voice of emotion, "'To your sister I wish all imaginable happiness,' to Willoughby that he may endeavor to deserve her, took leave and went away. Eleanor derived no comfortable feelings from this conversation. To lessen the uneasiness of her mind on other points, she was left, on the contrary, with the melancholy impression of Colonel Brandon's unhappiness and was prevented even from wishing it removed by her anxiety for the very event that must confirm it. Nothing occurred, chapter 28. Nothing occurred during the next three or four days to make Eleanor regret what she had done in applying to her mother for Willoughby neither came nor wrote. They were engaged about the end of that time to attend Lady Middleton to a party from which Mrs. Jennings was kept away by the indisposition of her youngest daughter. And for this party, Marianne, wholly dispirited, careless of her appearance, and seeming equally indifferent whether or not she went or stayed, prepared without one look of hope or one expression of pleasure. She sat by the drawing room fire tea till the moment of Lady Middleton's arrival without once stirring from her seat or altering her attitude. Lost in her own thoughts and insensible of her sister's presence, and when at last they were told that Lady Middleton waited for them at the door, she started as if she had forgotten that anyone was expected. They arrived in due time at the place of destination, and as soon as the string of carriages before them would allow, alighted ascended the stairs, heard their names announced from one landing place to another in an audible voice, and entered a room splendidly lit up and quite full of company, and insufferably hot. When they had paid their tribute of politeness by curtsying to the lady of the house, they were permitted to mingle in the crowd and take their share of the heat and inconvenience, to which their arrival must necessarily add. After some time spent in saying little and doing less... Lady Middleton sat down to casino, and as Marianne was not in spirits for moving about, she and Eleanor, luckily succeeding to chairs, placed themselves at no great distance from the table. They had not remained in this manner long before Eleanor perceived Willoughby, standing within a few yards of them, in earnest conversation with a very fashionable-looking young woman. She soon caught his eye, and he immediately bowed, but without attempting to speak to her or to approach Marianne, though he could not but see her, then and then continued his discourse with the same lady. 
Eleanor turned involuntarily to Marianne to see whether it could be unobserved by her. At that moment, she first perceived him and her whole countenance glowing with sudden delight. She would have moved toward him instantly had not her sister caught hold of her. Good heavens, she explained. He is there. He is there. Oh, why does he not look at me? Why can I not speak to him? Pray, pray be composed, cried Eleanor, and do not betray what you feel to be to everybody present. Perhaps he has not observed you yet. This, however, was more than she could believe herself, and to be composed as much in such a moment was not only beyond reach of Marianne, it was beyond her wish. See, she sat in agony of impatience, which affected every feature. At last he turned round again and regarded them both. She started up and pronouncing his name in a tone of affection, held out her hand to him. He approached and addressing himself rather to Eleanor than Marianne, as if wishing to avoid her eye and determined not to observe her attitude, inquired in a hurried manner after Miss Dashwood and asked how long they had been in town. Eleanor was robbed of all presence of mind by such an address and was unable to say a word, but the feelings of her sister were instantly expressed. Her face was crimsoned over and she exclaimed in a voice of the greatest emotion, Good God, Willoughby, what is it the meaning of this? Have you not received my letters? Will, will you not shake hands with me? He could not then avoid it, but her touch seemed painful to him, and he held her hand only for a moment. During all this time, he was evidently struggling for composure. Eleanor watched his countenance and saw its expression becoming more tranquil. After a moment's pause, he spoke with calmness. I did myself the honor of calling in Berkeley Street last Tuesday and very much regretted that I was not fortunate enough to find yourselves in Mrs. Jennings at home. My card was not lost, I hope. But have you not received my notes? cried Marianne in the wildest anxiety. Here is some mistake, I'm sure. Some dreadful mistake. What can he be the meaning of it? Tell me, Willoughby, for heaven's sake, tell me what is the matter. He made no reply, but his complexion changed and all his embarrassment reversed returned as if, on catching the eye of the young lady with whom he had been previously talking, he felt the necessity of instant exertion and recovered himself again after saying, Yes, I had the pleasure of receiving the information of your arrival in town, which you were so good as to send to me, turned hastily away with a slight bow and joined his friend. Marianne, now looking dreadfully white and unable to stand, sunk into her chair and Eleanor, expecting every moment to see her faint, tried to screen her from the observation of others while reviving her with lavender water. Go to him, Eleanor, she cried as soon as she could speak, and force him to come to me. Tell him I must see him again. I must speak to him instantly. I cannot rest. I shall not have a moment's peace till this is explained. Some dreadful misapprehension or other. Oh, go to him this moment. How can that be done? No, my dearest Marianne, you must wait. This is not the place for explanations. Wait only till tomorrow. With difficulty, however, she, could she prevent her from following him herself and to persuade her to check her agitation to wait at least with the appearance of composure till she might speak with him with more privacy and more effect was impossible for Marianne continued incessantly to give way in a low voice to the misery of her feelings by exclaim, exclamations of wretchedness. In a short time, Eleanor saw Willoughby quit the room by the door toward the staircase and telling Marianne that he was gone, urged the impossibility of speaking to him again that evening as a fresh argument for her to be calm. She instantly begged her sister would entreat Lady Middleton to take them home as she was too miserable to stay a minute longer. Lady Middleton, though, was in the middle of a rubber on being informed that Marianne was unwell, was too polite to object for a moment to to her wish of going away, and making over her cards to a friend, they departed as soon as the carriage could be found. 
Scarcely a word was broken during their return to Berkeley Street. Marianne was in silent agony, too much oppressed for even tears, but as Mrs. Jennings was luckily not to come home, they could go directly to their own room, which where Hartshorn restored her little to herself. She was soon undressed and in bed, and she seemed desirous of being alone. Her sister then left her, and while she waited to the return of Mrs. Jennings, had leisure enough for thinking over the past. That some kind of engagement had subsided between Willoughby and Marianne, she could not doubt, and that Willoughby was weary of it seemed equally clear, for however Marianne might still feed her own wishes, she could not attribute such behavior to the mistake or misapprehension of any kind. Nothing but a thorough change of sentiment could account for it. Her indignation would have been still stronger than it was had she not witnessed that embarrassment which seemed to speak of consciousness of his own misconduct and prevented her from believing him so unprincipled as to have been sporting with the affection of her sister from the first without any design that it would bear investigation. Absence might have weakened his regard. Inconvenience might have determined him to overcome it, but that such a regard had formerly existed, she could not bring herself to doubt. As for Marianne, on the pangs which so unhappy a meeting must already have given her, and on those still more severe which might await her in its probable consequence, she could not reflect without the deepest concern. Her own situation gained in the comparison, for while she could esteem Edward as much as ever, however they might be divided in the future, her mind might always be supported. But in every circumstance that could embitter such an evil seemed uniting to heighten the misery of Marianne in a final separation from Willoughby in an immediate and irreconcilable rupture with him. Chapter 29. Before the housemaid had lit the fire the next day, or the sun gained any power over a cold, gloomy morning in January, Marianne, only half-dressed, was kneeling against one of the window seats for the sake of all the light she could command from it, and writing as fast as a continual flow of tears would permit her. In this situation, Eleanor, roused from sleep by her agitation and sobbed, first perceived her, and after observing her for a few moments with silent anxiety, said, in a tone of the most considerate gentleness, Marianne, may I ask? No, Eleanor, she replied. Ask nothing. You will soon know, know all. The sort of desperate calmness with which this was said lasted no longer than the whole while she spoke, and was immediately followed by a return of the same excessive affliction. It was some minutes before she could go on with her letter, and the frequent bursts of grief which still obliged her at intervals to withhold her pen were proofs enough of her feeling how more probable it was that she was writing for the last time to Willoughby. Eleanor paid her every quiet and unobtrusive attention in her power, and she could not have tried to soothe and tranquilize her still more had not Marianne entreated her with all the eagerness of the most nervous irritability not to speak for her to her for the world. In such circumstances, it was better for both that they should not be long together, and the restless stare of Marianne's mind not only prevented her from remaining in the room at the moment after she was dressed, but requiring at once solitude and continual change of place, made her wander about the house till breakfast time, avoiding the sight of everybody. At breakfast, she neither ate nor attempted to eat anything, and Eleanor's attention was all, then all employed, not in urging her, not in pitying her, not in appearing to regard her, but in endeavoring to engage Mrs. Jennings' notice entirely to herself. As this was a favorite meal with Mrs. Jennings, it lasted a considerable time, and they were just sitting themselves after it round the common working table when a letter was delivered to Marianne, which she eagerly caught from the servant, and turning 
of a death-like paleness, instantly ran out of the room. Eleanor, who saw as plainly by this as if she had seen the direction that it must come from Willoughby, felt immediately such a sickness at heart as made her hardly able to hold up her head and sat in such a general tremor as made her feared impossible to escape Mrs. Jennings' notice. That good lady, however, saw that only Marianne had received a letter from Willoughby, which appeared to her a very good joke, and which she treated accordingly by hoping with a laugh that she would find it to her liking. Of Eleanor's distress, she was too busy employed in measuring lengths of worsted for her rug to see anything at all, and calmly continuing her talk as soon as Marianne disappeared, she said, Upon my word, I never saw a young woman so desperately in love in my life. My girls were nothing to her, and yet they used to be foolish enough. But as for Miss Marianne, she is quite an altered creature. I hope from the bottom of my heart he won't keep her waiting much longer, for it is quite grievous to see her look so ill and forlorn. Pray, when are they to be married? Eleanor, though never less disposed to speak than at that moment, obliged herself to answer such an attack as this, and therefore, trying to smile, replied, and have you really, ma'am, talked to yourself in, into persuasion of my sister's being engaged to Mr. Willoughby? I thought it had only been a joke, but so serious a question seems to imply more, and I must beg, therefore, that you will not deceive yourself any longer. I do assure you that nothing would be surpri would surprise me more than to hear of them being engaged to be married. For shame, for shame, Miss Dashwood, how you can talk so. Don't we all know that it must be a match? And they were over head over ears in love with each other from the first moment they met. Did I not see them together at Devonshire every single day and all day long? And did I not know that your sister come to town with me on the purpose of to buy wedding clothes? Come, come, this won't do because you are so, so sly about it yourself and think nobody else has any senses. But it is no such thing. I can tell you for it has all been known all over town this long i tell everybody of it and so does charlotte charlotte indeed ma'am said eleanor very seriously you are mistaken indeed you are doing a very unkind thing in spreading the report and you will find that you have though you will not believe me now mrs jennings laughed again but eleanor had not the spirits to say more and eager at all events to know what willoughby had written marianne stretched on the bed almost choked by grief one letter in her hand and two or three others letter laying beside her. Eleanor drew near, but without saying a word and seating herself on the bed, took her hand, kissed her affectionately several times, and then gave way to a burst of tears, which at first was scarcely less violent than Marianne's. The latter, though unable to speak, seemed to feel all the tenderness of this behavior, and after some time thus spent in joint affliction, she put all the letters into Eleanor's hands, and then covering her face with her handkerchief, almost screamed with agony shocking as it was to witness it must have in its course watched her by till the end of this excess by suffering had somewhat spent itself willoughby's letter read as follows dear miss madam i have just had the honor of receiving your letter for which i beg to return my sincere acknowledgments i am much concerned to find that there was anything in my behavior last night that did not meet your approbation, and though I am quite at a loss to discover at what point I could be so unfortunate as to offend you, I entreat your forgiveness of what I can assure you to have been perfectly unintentional. I shall never reflect on my formal acquaintance with your family in Devonshire without the most grateful pleasure, and flatter myself it will not be broken by any mistake or misapprehension of my actions. My esteem for your whole family is very sincere, but if I've been so unfortunate as to give rise to a belief of more than I felt 
or meant to express, I shall reproach myself for not having been more guarded in my professions of that esteem. That I should ever have meant more to you will allow to be impossible. And when you understand that my affections have long been engaged elsewhere, and it will not be many weeks, I believe, before this engagement is fulfilled, it is with great regret that I obey your commands of returning the letters with which I have been honored from you and the lock of hair which you so obligingly bestowed upon me. I am, dear madam, your most obedient, humble servant, John Willoughby. With what indignation such a letter as this must be read by Miss Dashwood may be imagined. Though aware before she began it that it must bring a confession of it, his inconsistency and confirm their separation forever, she was not aware that such language could be suffered to announce it nor could she have supposed Willoughby capable of departing so far from the appearance of every honorable and delicate feeling, so far from the common decorum of gentlemen as to send a letter so imprudently cruel, a letter which, instead of bringing with his desire a release of any professions of regret, acknowledged no breach of faith, denied all particular affections, whatever, a letter of which every line was an insult and which proclaimed its writer to be deep in hardened villainy. She paused over it for some time with indignant astonishment, then read it again and again. But every pursual only served to increase her abhorrence to the man, and so bitter were her feelings against him that she dared not trust herself to speak, lest she might wound Marianne still deeper by treating their disengagement not as a loss to her of any possible good, but as an escape from the worst and most irremediable of all evils, a connection for life with an unprincipled man as a deliverance, the most real, a blessing, the most important. In her earnest meditations on the content of the letter, on the depravity of that mind which should dictate it, and probably on the very different mind of a very different person who had no other connection whatever with the affair than what her heart gave him with everything that passed, Eleanor forgot the immediate distress of her sister, forgot that she had three letters on her lap, yet unread, and so entirely forgot how long she had been in the room, that when on hearing the carriage drive up to the door, she went to the window to see who could be coming so unreasonably early. She was all astonishment to perceive Mrs. Jennings' chariot, which she knew had not been ordered till one. Determined not to quit Marianne, though hopeless of contributing, at present, to her ease, she hurried away to excuse herself from attending. Mrs. Jennings, on account of her sister being indisposed, Mrs. Jennings, with the thoroughly good-humored concern for its cause, admitted the excuse most readily, and Eleanor, after seeing her safe off, returned to Marianne, whom she found attempting to rise from bed and whom she reached just in time to prevent from her falling to the floor, faint and giddy from a long want of proper rest and food, for it was many days since she had any appetite and many nights since she had really slept, and now, when her mind was no longer supported by the fever of suspense, the consequence of all this was felt in an aching head, a weakened stomach, and a general nervous faintness. A glass of wine which Eleanor procured for her directly made her more comfortable, and she was at last able to express some of the kindness by saying, Poor Eleanor, how unhappy I make you. I only wish, replied her sister, that there were anything I could do which might be of comfort to you. This, as everything else would have been, was too much for Marianne, who could only exclaim in her anguish of her heart, Oh, Eleanor, I am miserable indeed before her voice was entirely lost in sobs. Eleanor could no longer witness this torrent of unresisted grief and silence. Exert yourself, dear Marianne, she cried. If you would not kill yourself and all who love you, think of your mother, think of her misery while you suffer. For her sake, you must exert yourself. 
I cannot, I cannot, cried Marianne. Leave me, leave me. If I distress you, leave me. Hate me, forget me, but do not torture me so. Oh, how easy those for those of you who not sorrow of their own talk of exertion. Happy, happy Eleanor, you cannot have an idea what it is to suffer. Do you call me happy, Marianne? I, if you knew, and can you believe me to be so while I see you so wretched? Forgive me, forgive me, throwing her arms around her sister's neck. I know you feel for me. I know what a heart you have. But yet you are, you must be happy. Edward loves you. What, oh, what can you do with away as much happiness as that? Many, many circumstances, said Eleanor solemnly. No, 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 cried Marianne wildly. He loves you and only you. You can have no grief and I can have no pleasure while I see you in this state. And you will never see me otherwise. Mine is a misery which nothing can do away with. You must not talk so, Marianne. Have you no comforts, no friends? Is your loss such as leaves no opening for consolation. Much as you suffer now, think of what you would have suffered if your discovery of his character had been delayed to a later period, if your engagement had been carried on for months and months, as it might have been before he chose to put an end to it. Every additional day of unhappy confidence on your side would have made the blow more dreadful. Engagement, cried Marianne. There has been no engagement. No engagement? No, he is not so unworthy as you believe him. He has broken no faith with me but he told you that he loved you. Yes, no, never absolutely. It was never every day implied, but never. Sometimes I thought it had been, but never was. Yet you wrote to him. Yes, could that be wrong after all that had passed? But I cannot talk. Eleanor said no more and turning again to these three letters, which now raised a much stronger curiosity than before, directly ran over the contents of all. The first, which was what her sister had sent him on their arrival in town was to this effect. How surprised you will be, Willoughby, on receiving this, and I think you will feel something more than surprised when you know that I am in town, an opportunity of coming hither, though with Mrs. Jennings was a temptation we could not resist. I wish you may receive this in time to come here tonight, but I would not depend on it. At any rate, I shall expect you tomorrow for the present adieu. Her second note, which had been written on the morning after the dance at the Middleton, was in these words. I cannot express my disappointment in having missed you the day before yesterday, nor my astonishment at not having received any answer to a note which I sent you about a week ago. I've been expecting to hear from you and still more to see you every hour of the day. Pray, pray call again as soon as possible and explain the reason of my having to expected this in vain. You had better come earlier another time because we are generally out by one. We were last night at Lady Middleton's where there was a dance. I've been told that you were asked to be one of the party, but could it be so? You must be very much altered indeed since we parted, if that could be the case, and you not there, but I will not suppose this possible, and I hope very soon to receive your personal assurance of it being otherwise. The contents of her last note to him were these. What am I to imagine, Willoughby, by your behavior last night? Explanation of it. I was prepared to meet you with the pleasure which our separation naturally produced, with the familiarity which our intimacy at Barton appeared to me to justify. I was repulsed indeed. I have passed a wretched night in endeavoring to excuse a conduct which can scarcely be called less than insulting. But though I have not been able to form any reasonable apology for your behavior, I'm perfectly ready to hear your justification of it. You have perhaps been misinformed or purposely deceived in something concerning me, which may have lowered me in, in your opinion. Tell me what it is, explain the grounds on which you acted, and I shall be satisfied in being able to satisfy you. I would grieve me, and it would grieve me indeed to be obliged to think ill of you, 
But if I am to do this, if I am to learn that you are not what we have hitherto believed you, that your regard for us all was insincere, that your behavior to me was intended only to be deceived, let us be told as soon as possible. My feelings are at present in a state of dreadful indecision. I wish to acquit you, but certainly on other side will be eased to what I now suffer. If your sentiments are no longer what they were, you will return my notes and the lock of my hair, which is in your possession. That such letters so full of affection and confidence could have been so answered, Eleanor, for Willoughby's sake, would have been unwilling to believe. But her condemnation of him did not blind her to the impropriety of their having been written at all. And she was silently grieving over the imprudence which had hazarded such unsolicited proofs of tenderness, not warranted by anything preceding and most severely condemned by the event. When Marianne, perceiving that she had finished the letters, observed to her that they contained nothing but what one would have written in the same situation. 